You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. It's Wednesday, so of course it's time for Wayne on Wednesday with Wayne McCurry, who's a portfolio manager at FNB Wealth and Investment. And the market keeps on going higher, Wayne, and uh, long yes. may it continue, but will it continue? This is the question which we have been pondering now for probably two months now. Yes, two months now. Now, we've always said and we've consistently said that the market will recover off the lows that we saw in March. We just thought it would take a significantly longer time period. So the only thing that worries me about the market is the time it's taken to recover. It is so short, and essentially Mm. the recovery has been a one-way story. I mean, it has just literally gone up. You know, it hasn't paused. It, 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 It honestly hasn't paused. I mean, it, it hit the bottom, yeah, in, I call it the end of March, wherever it was, 38,000, everything. And then there's been no significant fall thereafter till it hits today's 56,000 almost. So from 38,000 to 56,000 in April, May, June, three and a half months. Yeah. As so, you say, it's been relentless. And, um, it's been merciless. Yeah. I'm not worried about the overall valuation level of them. I'm not concerned that we're now all of a sudden going to hit a major bear market and it's going to be sustained and relentless bear market. That doesn't worry me either. You don't get a sustained and relentless bear market in a recovering economy with low interest rates. It just doesn't happen. It's quite normal for the market to bounce from 38,000 to 50,000. That's quite normal and that happens quite quickly. But this last 10, 15%, it, it just is too much too soon. So, and we've spoken about this and I've been wrong for a long time. Yes. I'm expecting some sort of retracement. And every time the overseas markets, our markets fall 2, 3%, I think, okay, yes, maybe the start of it. Nothing happens, it just goes up. But should it happen, and it's not impossible to happen for the reason I'll get to now, should it happen, I would be a strong buyer of shares. Yes. Because the economy is recovering in a low interest rate environment. But why I think it may still happen is that even though the worst economic uh, scenario, the worst economic situation, is already behind us because the world is recovering. It hasn't been reported on yet. So I'll give you a good example. Yeah, South Africa. Our second quarter GDP is anything from minus 8% to minus 12% in an absolute contraction of of the economy. Now, we've never seen that. The most we've seen over a year is, say, the the worst is minus 4. This is minus 8 or 12 in a quarter. And when you annualize that, you know, the number is 40, 50% Mm. in a quarter on an annualized basis. So I think when the data gets reported on, when we actually know the extent of the economic collapse devastation, the market might hesitate a little bit. But if it does, you must be in a buy. 
I agree with you entirely because although there's been a, a knee-jerk reaction in the economy, in other words, suddenly people are hiring people to serve burgers outside in a in a restaurant, in whether it be yeah. Santon or in New York or, or wherever it is, Shanghai. That's fine. I, I understand that China is bouncing back very nicely. Thank you very much, and it, it, it it's done well, even if the numbers may be slightly massaged by the authorities. Yeah. I don't believe that the next leg up is about to come. I think this has been a, a huge plunge yes. and it was a shock. And then suddenly certain places open up and so there's a rehiring. But after that, I don't see that it's going to continue. I don't think that it has the momentum and the foundation that uh, suggests that we'll get back to well, an economy that we were you- enjoying a year ago. Yeah, let me give you two examples. One is just a, a base a base number. If the economy was 100, it's fallen to 80, Yes, it can bounce to 90 very quickly. Right. But to go from 90 to 100 is going to be a long, hard sort, a, a long, hard ball. Mm. Now, the second example is a personal one. I like going out to eat. I know you I, do. I like, I like different restaurants. I like tasting different foods, etc. So restaurants are open this week in Johannesburg in South Africa. Yep. And I was out there three times in a week. Where did you go? And just I, out of interest, just because I like these stories. Go on. I went to I went to um, Paul's, which is one of my favourite restaurants. The French uh, boulangerie the French one, patisserie. Yeah, yeah. they serve fantastic food. I don't. I'm not really big on on their on their pastries and that. I'm not really too much of a pastry person. Mm-hmm. But they got the most delicious roast beef with gravy and bread. It is delicious. So I went to Paul's. And then I went, Shapiro likes that as well. Shapiro likes Paul. Well, Shapiro actually put me onto that roast beef. Mm. He actually introduced exactly. He spoke about it, and I thought, no, I've got to, I've got to try this one on. Okay. Then I went to Hussars, which is the upmarket spur. Mm-hmm. You have a steak, and it's... then I went to my favourite restaurant in the whole world, which is a <laughs> an old English style pub that serves you chicken a livers roast on a Sunday. No, a roast on a Sunday. Oh, okay. I've also been for chicken livers. I've been at four times. Um, they serve you a roast on a Sunday where the plate is piled high and the potatoes are crispy and the gravy is it's delicious and it's very reasonably priced. But, but food aside, the characteristics of all four places I've been to mm. is they've only got half the tables they used to have, but yes. there was no one there. Just was, you. Yeah, it was just... There were maybe three. So let's say they used to have 20 tables and now got 10, only three were occupied. And this is consistent across all four venues that I went to. And the point of this is, other than discussing food, is people are cautious. Even though you can, people are cautious. And I think that's going to be around for a while. Even when we're allowed to travel overseas and we're allowed to go stay in restaurants for leisure and we're allowed to cross the border, people aren't going to go because they are cautious. You know, the statistically, half the people in the world are more paranoid than the other half the people in the world. In, in the world. I've got two questions for you. Actually, one is a question, one is a statement. I was thinking about, um, because I've got a portable studio where I can podcast from anywhere in the world, I have a studio and suitcase and will travel. I can go and do that. So I was thinking of going to France or to the northwest coast of Spain. I suddenly thought, if I go there, I, I hire a car and I drive through France and have a lovely road trip on my own and have some fun. What if they, what if they close down? 
What if they close down again, just like they have in Catalonia? 210,000 people have suddenly been locked down again. What do I do? Mm. So I'm suddenly saying to myself, actually, you know what? At your age, Lindsay, rather just not. rather not do it. Don't take the risk because I'll run yeah. out of money eventually. And I, there yeah. would be no way I can get back to my little apartment in Rotterdam. That's the first thing. Yeah. And I think... If you apply that to the rest of the European population, suddenly the spending splurge that we've seen is reined in by the caution that you mm. were talking about, which is a, a point very well made. Yeah. The second thing is, which is a little bit more important, when you go to Hazars, what stake do you have? Mine is a ribeye. What is yours? I actually like their rump. Now, it's inter- Hazars very interesting. They're part of Spur. Mm. And I had a, I had a this, is, this sounds like, the ice age, it's so long ago. Mm. I went out to a spur management presentation where we sat down and had lunch together sitting next to someone without a face mask on and having your hand sanitized. Mm. So I went to the spur management and there's an interesting thing. They said they get the meat for the hussars and the spur from exactly the same supplier. There's no difference in the quality of meat they get, the supplier of the meat they get. So what Hassars does different to, to Spur, I love Spur as well. Yes. What they do different is how they present it. So at Spur, you get a plate with chips on it and mm. your whatever else. Just put on a plate, your onion rings and everything on a plate. Whereas in Hassars, you get the steak on the plate with a little bit of garnish and a few little fancy green things put on top of it. <laughs> and your chips, come, your chips come in a separate bowl and your sauce comes in a separate bowl. And when you sit down, they give you olives and some crunchy plantain fried chips. And so it's not what you're eating, it's how it's presented ah, to you. Exactly. It's mutton and dressed up as lamb. You sit down in the sort of mock cowhide seats and <laughs> everything's there. Whereas in the Hussars, it's like almost going into a library. They've got like nice leather paneling and leather chairs with studs in it and books up on the bookshelves and, you know, you know, so it's not what you're eating, it's the presentation and the environment that you're eating it in. And, I mean, I love Spur, as you well know, yes. but the steak tastes better at Hussars, but it is exactly the same steak. It's very, very interesting. It's just yeah. how it's presented. So I found that very interesting. Okay, it's a very interesting observation. Anyway, let's get on to uh, the less important matters now, because the, the yes. one feature of the day is the, the weakness of the US dollar, which is around about half a percent down against the euro, and the Dixie, which is the dollar index, also around about half a percent weaker against, a, obviously, a basket of currencies. But the gold price... Wayne McCurry has gone vaulting its way through 1800 and we've been talking about this. It was oh, up yeah. at $25 at one stage. It's up $18 at the moment, but it's sort of an eight, nine-year high. Yeah, eight, nine-year high. So best level since 2012 and only $106 away from all-time record highs. And this tells me something. And I'm sorry, I'm putting on my trading hat now. I, if I'm a fund manager, I want to start to build a position in markets that are not so liquid. You start building a position uh, quietly in gold shares and the, the physical gold market, which isn't obviously, which neither of which are, are as big as the uh, the bond market or the, or the stock market. So you start building a risk position in those before you start selling the stock market or the bond market. And that's what I see now. Somebody likes gold at the moment because they see some risk out there. Am I being fanciful? No, look, there is clearly risk out there. The question is, do you want to buy it now 
after the run. So, 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 so two, one, one observation, one commentary. The observation is there's not a single gold bull around when the gold index, we're talking the share index now, mm. is 1,000 points. It's not a single bull out there. You never hear anyone talk about gold. You never ask a question about gold. Now, no. our gold index from August 2018 is up from 1,000 to 5,400. Now everyone wants to buy. Now everyone's interested. Okay. Damn it. I think this thing's run, eh? It is overbought. I'll give you that. Run. And I've been wrong. I mean, I'm the wrong person to talk about gold. And every every investment professional, or every, I don't know if you can call investment people professional, of course every not. person who's in investments, okay, uh, the years where they cut their teeth have an undue influence on their investment thoughts and how they perceive and what they like and dislike. So I cut my teeth in investments in severe gold bear markets. And I sort of started investments late 80s, early 90s. And the people that I were learning from, were learned from were the big gold bulls who made a fortune in gold in the early 80s. So they loved gold, loved it, and all I saw was gold being destroyed, gold shares being destroyed. So since I've joined gold, we joined investors, gold has had one good year in 10, but when it's good, it's good. Okay, so when it's good, so, it's good. When it's bad, it's a bad friend. Mm. Yeah, when it's wrong. So, you know, gold, the last time people were bullish about gold was 20. 17, 2016, 2017. The index got to 2,800. It started at 800. So it went from 800 to 2,800. And then it went from 2,800 to 1,000 in a not too distant, you know, not too big a time, a time frame. So gold is exceptionally volatile. But now, why be bullish about gold now? This business of gold being a hedge against inflation is rubbish because there's no inflation in the world. So put that aside. So now it's a hold against, against, hedge against uncertainty. And I know there's uncertainty. Will we go into another stage of lockdown, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? It's obviously uncertainty. But understand, unless the world goes into as severe a lockdown, the big uncertainty is behind us because the world's economy is opening up already. So you could argue the uncertainty, the bad news has peaked and it's declining. Of course, you can throw in what's President Trump going to do to try and get re-elected. He could do anything. He could impose a new trade war with China. He could do anything because politicians, when it looks as though they might stand a chance of not being re-elected, they will do anything in their power to get re-elected. And as we have spoken about on many occasions, President Trump will maybe do things that other politicians might not do. So there is some uncertainty around this upcoming election. What will President Trump do? How will he introduce uncertainty into the whole system? But as far as the economy is concerned, my view is we're already over the worst. So why by now when you over the worst? I don't get it, but as I've spent a long time explaining, I'm clearly not a gold bull. No, you're clearly not a gold bull, but on the other hand, it it it, it must as a, as you're a proud South African and you're from Kimberley, and and so you've got your your roots in digging stuff out of the ground. 
Yes. Diamonds in, in particular. But I would like to, t- to talk to you about the emotional aspect of gold because do you remember when Gordon Brown was in charge of the uh, UK's purse strings and it was called the Brown Bottom? And I, I'm not being rude here, but the Brown Bottom was Gordon Brown's bottom in the gold price. He sold the last few tons of of gold from the UK Treasury at about, or the Bank of England's gold at around about well, half of it around about $252 an ounce he got an average price of 275 and that was the bottom within a couple of years it was $1,000 an ounce he wasn't the only one that every central banker was selling because mm. all they had endured was a 10 year bear market in gold where it just was relentlessly pounded down and remember all the South African gold mining companies. Damn it, they couldn't sell production forward enough because the price was collapsing. Then when the price recovered, it cost them billions of rand to buy out of those contracts because the price was going up. So it's very typical at the bottom of the market when you should be buying, everyone's selling. That's why the price is going down. At the top of the market, when you should be selling, everyone's buying. That's why the price is going up. But I personally wouldn't buy our gold index at 5,400 points, which is an absolute record high ever. Yes. And within the space of, what's it, um, August, year and a half, goes from 1,000 to 5,000. And we know it's volatile. I mean, this is not a company that makes profits. This is not an industry that makes consistent profits and pays consistent dividends. In fact, when you look at the history of gold mining companies spending money, they are atrociously good, atrociously good or bad, whichever way you want to look at it, at actually destroying value. But every once every 10 years, they knock it on the head and the shares go up 500%. And if you astute enough, but look, he has a good rule of thumb. And I think if you apply this rule, which which I haven't, by the way, but if you apply this rule of thumb over your lifetime investing in gold shares, buy the index below 1,500 and sell it above 4,000. Okay, that's absolutely fine. I just want to go back to the the UK thing and uh, the volatility and the cyclicality of gold and why you should probably be selling now because everyone's getting bullish about it. Uh, The UK, I think it was 1999, I can't remember anyway, whenever Gordon Brown was doing whatever he did uh, and mismanaging the economy, he sold 395 tonnes of the 715-tonne holding of the UK uh, and his average price was two seventy five. It's now eighteen hundred and twenty. I mean, this yeah. a man that was in charge of the purse strings. And for goodness' sake, sell some bonds yeah. or something, or or go to the, go to the IMF. But don't sell gold at yeah. those levels. It was ridiculous. <laughs> what does he think is going to go to a hundred and he's going to look clever? Yeah, because that was the no. But but you see, this is the psychology of market. Okay, so let's talk oil now. Oil is also a massively big market. Biggest market in the world mm. is oil. Biggest physical market, not financial market, physical market in the world is oil. 2007, somewhere around there, 2006, 2007, oil was 150. Everything you read, everyone you spoke to, every oil expert, every oil company told you, it's going to 250. Mm. What was the next stop? 36. Yes. 
Yes, okay, right. so it's exactly the same. We're all human. So, so Gordon Brown, everyone, when, when gold had gone from, I don't know, $800, whatever the number was, gone from 800 to 250 or 1,000 to 250, I can't even remember what the high was. Every single person you spoke to, every single person who advised you would say, it's going to 100. Okay, this is relentless because the evidence, the, the back when you have these massive price movements is so overwhelming and so compelling because if they want overwhelming, overwhelming and compelling backdrop and story, the price wouldn't be doing that. So oil, when it, when it was going to 250, China was growing at 12% a year. It was going to continue for the next 30 years. The next was going to be India and the next was going to be Africa and there's not enough oil around. There's no more oil supplies. Oil was just, you couldn't find a single thing wrong with oil. Next stop, 40. You know, so now, let's say oil has recovered a little bit, but let's make the same argument now. All you hear now is electric vehicles are going to take over the world. Oil is a deadpan industry. Nothing's ever going to happen to oil. Wouldn't surprise me the price goes to 60. You know, so you've got to be very careful of extreme price movements in anything. Because extreme price movements are probably driven by extreme underlying economic circumstances. And the mere reason that I'm using the word extreme is that it's not normal. So whatever drives whatever drive something to an extreme up or down, oil price, gold price, platinum price. I mean, take platinum, for example. Also 2007, platinums were the with the process and naspas of the day. I mean, you couldn't go wrong owning a platinum share. Anglo Plats got to the share price got to a thousand four hundred. Yep. His next stop on the share price was two hundred, eh? Yeah. You know, so watch out for extreme share price, extreme price movements, not just share price movements, but extreme price movements driven by extreme underlying economic reality. And it is a reality. But watch out for it because it's extreme. It doesn't it doesn't persist. When you've you know, got two minutes, this, when you've got two minutes, is there anything yeah. you're doing at the moment? Is there anything that's changed since last Wednesday? Waiting to buy. You're waiting, waiting to buy. To buy. What do you need? Ten percent, fifteen percent? What do you need? 10, 10, 15, Yeah. Okay. But you'll be patient. I hope. I hope it's right. I don't know. I mean, will you throw in the towel and say it's not coming? So I'm going to have to just uh, get in there because yeah, of the look, fear of missing I out. I can't go in the towel and start buying. We're saying I can't stand the pain anymore. Mm. That will probably be the top. <laughs> okay. I think your your patience will be rewarded personally. Wayne McCurry is uh, a portfolio okay. manager at FMV Wealth and Investment, and that was Wayne on Wednesday. The views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of Lindsay Williams and various contributors and do not reflect the policy, position or opinion of any other agency, organisation, employer or company associated with strictlybusinesspodcast.com. Assumptions made on the analyses are not reflective of the position of any other entity other than the speaker or the author. And since we are critically thinking human beings, these views are always subject to change, revision and rethinking at any time. Please do not hold us to them in perpetuity.